We don't have to try any harder. We don't need to fight anymore. We don't have to try any harder. Hey, Jacob. Hi, Scott. How are you doing this morning? How do you say groggy backwards? E-gorge. <laughs> when, we, when we showed up, you said, you look a little groggy. And then I disappeared completely off the sound. So I'm, I'm here. I'm so glad to be here. How are you, my friend? Wait, we're still on you. Are you groggy? Well, yeah, actually, I, I drove to California last um, Thursday and spent a really whirlwind several days um, with my sister Emily, who lives in the city, and we and I visited my publicist Lisa in East Bay, and visited Miguel Ruiz Jr. in Reno on my way there, and had to get new tires put on my car uh, outside of Reno, and then went up to the Russian River, and then met Sark in San Francisco and um, my friend Todd Lehman in um, Marin. So yeah, and then I drove home. So I'm I'm still recovering a bit from all of that. But but this sounds like a day in the life of, or a week in the life of Scott. You're used to this stuff more than I am. Yeah, you, you keep trying to put it back on me. I'm not done with you, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> You're not done with me yet. All right. Well, so how was your experience? Like how was the weekend in the Bay? The long weekend? Um, it was so good. Um, I hadn't been able to get down and see my sister Emily for a long time. And she had moved back into the city from Oakland and lives with, uh, within a view of a couple of blocks of a view of the Golden Gate Bridge and oh, not far from Haight-Ashbury where uh, my mother, um, before I was born, used to spend a lot of hippie days right there in the middle of the epicenter of all the hippiness in the entire world, you know? I do know. That's where I spent most of my time living in San Francisco in the 90s. Oh, really? Wishing that I had been there in the 60s because it wasn't quite the same in the 90s. I loved, I mean, I loved being in San Francisco then. But yeah, that area was, it's an iconic area. So much wow. energy, so much music, so much revolution, rebellion, you know, drug use, all, all of it with sex. It was all happening in the hate. <laughs> I think it all still is, maybe at a slightly uh, muted volume by comparison. But, um, you know, I've told Emily before going to the, uh, going to San Francisco for me, you know, I was born not far from there um, in Santa Rosa and going to San Francisco, it's kind of like an acid trip for me. I mean, it's, there's, there's some big energy in that city. It's hard to explain, but there's wealth and beauty and poverty and um, just everything's happening. And especially when you're kind of a country mouse from a smaller town like I am, going there is, is just a mind-boggling experience. And also for me, a very good one. I don't ever feel unsafe in San Francisco or, you know, the energy of that town for me is a lot better than, say, Chicago. Um, yeah, Seattle... San Francisco, Portland, those ones, those cities, even though they're big cities with lots of traffic and all the things, I, I always feel pretty okay there. 
Yeah, I'm actually heading into San Francisco today, this afternoon, oh, for the really? first time in a while. Yeah, I've been I've been in Marin this week, oh. which is north of San Francisco. For those listening, um, just over the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah, so I'll be driving across the bridge today um, to go spend the afternoon with a friend who's there, who happens to be visiting and is in San Francisco. And yeah, I mean, it's you know, I guess it's it's different probably visiting San Francisco is very different than if you've lived there for a, a stretch of time and then experiencing the city. You know, when I first arrived in San Francisco in 93, right after college, it was, I couldn't wait to get there. It was like the Holy Land, you know, and as someone who was also not out yet in, and wanting to be and knew that San Francisco was going to to just drag me out of the closet in no time. And it didn't take too long for that to happen. Um, and to, you know, the truth is I'm, I don't live there now. So I, what I'm about to say is it is how I feel, but it's not solely rooted in experience, but I mean, the city has, has changed dramatically. And I guess I feel really grateful to have lived there in the nineties and, um, and, not during a time when it's, I, I'm not as drawn to San Francisco these days. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was going to ask you uh, before, and then you mentioned it immediately that uh, I was going to ask you if you were out yet when you moved there. So you weren't. So I'm just curious, what was that experience of being, you said, dragged out of the closet so quickly? I mean, it was a thrilling experience to be in a city where you're surrounded by queer people you know, and you're wanting to, I was wanting to embrace that in myself more and more. So it was very easy to meet, you know, get, there is a cat going crazy around me, this cute cat named Ricky. I don't know if you can hear it. He's leaping onto this table and spinning around. He's so cute. Um, but just leap, you know, there was a moment, and I'll, I'll share this in, in San Francisco, probably my maybe second year there. And it was, I was at a house party of a friends or whatever, and had been drinking and was, you know, walking down the street. I, I lived maybe five minutes away walking and was walking home and this guy passed me in the, and it was probably two in the morning and I'm drunk and this guy's walking by me and he get, he like really cruises me. I didn't even know what cruising was at the time. And he's really just looking at me intensely as I'm walking by him and I turn back and he's staring at me and he stopped on the on the street and he's just looking at me and he's like, you want to come over? And I was like, OK, <laughs> you know what I'm like? I, I was like, this happens like this is how it happens here. This is what this is how easy it is to kind of meet someone. It was uh, it was a an interesting awakening. Let's put it that way. Wow. Yeah. 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 I can imagine San Francisco is a good good place if you're a gay man. I, I suspect that's that's still the case, <laughs> and a great place in many ways. I mean, it I, it it is a city that I feel in some ways will always feel like home to me. Mm. You know, some really formative years were spent there with so much joy, and you know, I never imagined I wouldn't wouldn't stay there. So, yeah, I'm glad you got to be there and enjoy it. Ricky. Well, I did, and I, I failed to mention one other meeting. The last night I was there, I went to an um, Afghani restaurant with um, Greg Brandenburg, who's one of the um, editors with Red Wheel Weiser, Hampton Roads. He's been in the publishing world for 
ever and had some hand, I'm not sure what hand in my most recent book. And he had, then he had 101 days to retirement. So I think he's down to like 99 or something right now. <laughs> uh, so what a, what a pleasure though. He's been around the kind of books that you and I write for decades, Scott. And it was really interesting to spend time with him too. That's great. Yeah. You know, I, I guess I want to say what I was alluding to without really saying it. And I, I don't have answers for this, but I feel like so many of my friends and the experience I had in the nineties, it, it wouldn't be possible in San Francisco right now because of how oh, expensive the city's become. Ah. Um, and that it's become a city for the tech industry and for for millionaires and really wealthy people. And it's always been an incredibly expensive city. And yet my friends and I didn't have any money and we were able and, and there were so many artists and and musicians and creative people and people in the nonprofit world and who were able to to figure out a way to survive there and enjoy it. And I feel like that's become especially difficult in that city. And it's not alone in that, but I feel like it is an extreme example yeah. of that in how Silicon Valley, you know, really took over a city and made it available to those with money yeah. and those without really don't have much of a place there. And I find that incredibly tragic because they're, the city itself, the energy of that city, the beauty of that city, the 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 character of that city, it holds so much history and so much creative energy and so much natural beauty, you know, and I, I just believe these, these places should be accessible to all. Yeah, that's, that's really, um, yeah, it's really well said. It was interesting having that sense walking around. And of course, my sister has been there for, I guess, eight or nine years now and um, worked in and around uh, well, she worked on in the Presidio for several years, uh, that complex, which was gorgeous for a nonprofit organization. And um, and now she works for a family office of some of the Google billionaires. And it's a charitable organization, but it's, you know, it's the same kind of thing, Scott, like just insane, insane wealth. You know, they're mm -hmm. they're working hard to give away. 130 million dollars this week and those i mean that's wonderful stuff but to your point um yeah it feels like the hierarchy there has really gotten top heavy on the on the upper end of it yeah yeah so san francisco so i'd love to hear about your time in canyon ranch i really enjoyed speaking of right yeah speaking let's... of places not available to most people <laughs> well yeah right i mean it was it's just um i loved last week how you led us through that you know guided meditation right at the end that was wonderful and i could feel you moving into what you were getting ready to do there so i'd love to hear about it i had an extraordinary weekend at canyon ranch canyon ranch for those who don't know is a retreat center um it's based in lennox massachusetts in tucson arizona and then most recently in woodside california and i've been deeply privileged to teach at all three centers and mm. they're all extraordinary and and you know it, it isn't it's an expensive place to go it isn't available to everybody in that way um, what i appreciate very much about what they do is it's not just about massages and um you know fitness classes that they really weave in 
they really look at wellness also from the perspective of personal growth and healing and spirituality. And that's where I come in. I give the, the talks, lead the talks about self-love and facing our fears and being honest with ourselves and being in our truth and looking at our conditioning and all of these things that are, I believe, so integral to, to wellness beyond just, you know, your body wellness and what you're putting into your body. It's the whole picture. And this, this location in Woodside, it happens to be on 16 acres of a redwood forest, which is beyond magical. And just being in the energy of those trees, it's second growth redwood. So it's not when, if you think of like the big sequoias and redwoods, the giant ones, it, it wasn't those trees. It's the second growth, but they're still enormous trees and they're a hundred years old. And there, there is such a, there is such a special and unique energy coming off those trees. I mean, forests give off energy, you know, and I, I, I realized I joked in one of my postings that I think I am a size queen when it comes to trees, because there is something about the big trees yeah. that just, it, they are so grounding. There yeah. is such a, a big, beautiful grounding centering energy that comes out of those forests and you just, you walk into them and you feel different. And Jacob, I took my first ever with my friend, Abby, who's home I'm at right now. Uh, she came up for dinner one night and we went on a hike in the forest and I did the entire hike barefoot, which for me was like, it was extraordinary. And it was, it felt really brave, you know, like I, I just, I, I hiked barefoot through a forest, you know, and, and survived it. <laughs> and you, and you're here to tell the tale. I'm here to tell the tale. And yeah, my feet got a little dirty, but my feet were okay. And it was, yeah. So that felt exciting. You know, it felt like another, uh, playing with this, getting more wild and grounding and earthing and all of this stuff. So it was really special. And about a mile and a half away from the property, there is this tree that is 1,860 years old called Methuselah. Mm. It's almost 2,000 years old. And I went two days in a row. I went on my own and then I took Abby to this tree and talk about energy coming off a living thing. If you can only imagine what a 2,000 year old living being is emitting is so extraordinary to be in the presence of that tree and just to touch it and just to look at it and experience it. So it was a really special time. And, and this for me was the first time I've uh, done any live workshop since March of 2020. Wow. So it was my first time teaching again in that way and being with people again in that way. And it felt wonderful. You know, it felt like being reminded again, this is the kind of work I love to be doing. And every time I do it, even if I think I'm getting more quiet and more hermiting and just want to be living in the forest and running through forest barefoot or whatever and living in my tent, the truth is this kind of work also is one of the things that energizes me and connects me to my center more than anything as well. So it was beautiful. Oh, that's incredible. Have we talked about... Um... Have we talked about the book, The Overstory, before? I don't think we have, but I've. have you read it? Yeah. I'm aware of it. Talk about it. Hmm. A year or two ago, must have been a couple of years ago, my friend Heather Ashamara 
um, told me about this book and she's like, this is mind blowing. And so I think it was pretty new at the time. So I got it on Audible and I think it was 50 hours long or something. It's really a big, big book. Um, when talking about the trees though, Scott, and we've, this has been coming up over and over again, the last several episodes about grounding the energy, the forests and all of that. And that book is a, it's a, it's hard to even describe. It's this weaving of all of these stories that are under this great story, but it's all connected to the idea of, of, of trees and how, and also how trees communicate to each other. Yeah. And this idea, you know, this sort of, uh, oh, you bunch of hippie tree huggers, like now science is actually finding out more and more about how the trees actually are connected through the mycelium networks, through the, through the earth, you know, with the fungus and how trees actually warn each other of coming insect attacks and all sorts of things. And so the idea that we're living in an intensely intelligent system And also the idea that by going out there and being in that atmosphere and actually letting our brain waves and our body's nervous system settle down into into a nonverbal state that can actually receive communication in a way that doesn't run through the rational part of our brain, we're finding out that it's actually extremely true. Yeah, it's extraordinary how, how intelligent they are. So much of life is, and we have no clue, Yeah, you know, and yeah. it was cool because on the property at Canyon Ranch, there were numerous, numerous fairy rings is what they're called. And essentially it it, it is when an old growth tree, so one of the larger redwood trees, I think in, in, in this area, they were logged. So it, it got logged and what it did as it's dying is it puts all of its nutrients into its roots. And again, with this intelligence, knows its life is over, like pushes all of its nutrients into the roots. And then from the roots, a circle of new redwood trees grow. So there were all these circles on the property surrounding these stumps of the old growth trees. And it was so, it just felt beautiful. And to stand in the center and be surrounded by that and to just be aware of how how intelligent life is, how resilient life is, how nature is doing what it needs to do to survive. Life is happening. You know, life will continue to happen. And yeah, it's very special. And like you said, to to cue into it, close your eyes, put your hands on some trees, breathe into the energy of that tree, allow yourself to feel, allow yourself to tune into any messages that come through that wisdom. Are you seeing any words in your mind's eye? Are you getting any information in your mind's eye? How are you feeling in your being? Like pay attention to these things because then you're going to be more inclined to do that in nature. Even if it's with your household plant, put your hands on the leaves, breathe into it. There is an intelligence there, an intelligence that serves us, that helps ground us, helps center us, helps connect us to the truth of who we are, to our connection to all things. Like this is the, this is just one of the many gifts of nature and it is all around us. So <laughs> what I would love is for everyone listening right now, Scott, to hear this as a personal invitation, not just listening to a couple of weird mystical guys droning on about right. the power and energy of nature 
and like just kind of let it wash over. I mean, if you want to do that, that's fine too. I'm sure, you know, you'll get some sort of calming effect from it. No, I would really love to invite you into like we're as we're talking about this, this is an invitation to try it, mm -hmm. to actually go outside, make five minutes, or if you need longer than that, because you don't live near anything green, make a date with yourself to go somewhere and not listen to a podcast or journal or anything, just sit and let the first feelings of discomfort of boredom and what am I doing and all those just kind of go and breathe and close your eyes. I mean, this is actually a practice here that we're suggesting, not just describing some sort of trippy experiences that we're having with the, with the trees and the forest, you know? Yeah. And I suspect a lot of you listening probably do have this as a part of your life in some way. And yeah. what I've, what I've noticed for myself is how easy it is not now because I'm so making time for nature very intentionally, but how easy it can be to neglect aspects of our of practices that serve our well-being even though we know they serve our well-being for instance i know how nature affects me and yet i've spent i have a thousand times over thought to myself i need to get outside more and yet i'm sitting in front of a door that i could open up and i would be outside like the the effort that it would take to actually do the thing i know i need to do is 10 seconds and then I'm outside feeding myself in a way I know I need to feed myself. Yeah. And that is something that we, we are all doing so often. Like I need to do this more. I should be doing this more. I need to do this more. These needs that we know we will serve us to fulfill. What happens when we stop just repeating that statement in our heads? I need to blank more yeah. and actually carve out five minutes, like Jacob said, or 10 or an hour or whatever it is you're able to do and be intentional about it. You know, that was my, my retreat at Canyon ranch was called the power of intention. Mm. So each of, I, I gave six different classes there all under that umbrella. And it, it truly is amazing, Jacob. And I know, you know, this, when we are more intentional about the choices we make, we change our lives. And it doesn't have to be this weighty thing. It doesn't have to be this heavy thing. It is so easy for us to convince ourselves through the lens of our minds that we don't have time to do the things we need to do for ourselves, but there is always five minutes to carve out. And, and if you consistently carve out those five minutes, there's a really good chance they're going to become 10 minutes or 15 minutes or five sets of five minutes or whatever it is. And suddenly you're making time for yourself in a way that serves you. So interesting how this comes up today. I was meeting with a dear friend yesterday afternoon and working on things and also checking out project she's been up to. And toward the end of it, I said, okay, I feel like I'm saying words, but none of them mean anything. And she looked at me and said, you're tired, aren't you? I said, yeah. She said, well, you're, no, you sounded coherent. I said, no, I know I'm using words. They don't, I don't feel like any of them are actually like, they're just sounds. She said, okay, you need to go home. No more screens. Um, don't talk to anybody. Just, just, and, and I did, I actually went home and, and got in bed and it was, and was perfect because I've been pushing really hard lately and having so much fun doing it, you know, driving, meeting, talking, um, 
really in good ways. And it was so interesting. Um, this morning I was supposed to get up and go have a meeting and that got moved and I was sitting there journaling. <laughs> I pull, um, I pull these two cards. I have this deck over here. A friend of mine gave me, it's called the mystical shaman Oracle deck. Absolutely not a deck I would have bought for myself. Really? Right. No. Okay. No, right. I mean, I'm, you know, You're a mystical shaman guy. I know, but if it's on, if it's in the title, it's just right. Like, it is <laughs> not gonna, too on point. Oh, uh, totally. It's like, that's on the nose. So, but this is a dear friend, actually a dear, somebody you should know, um, Lisa, and my brain is still just just fried enough to not be able to pull Lisa Campion, and she's a legit psychic medium. Has done it for since she was young, and she, I think she's done over ten thousand sessions in her life. Mm -hmm. And she's written two books now. And she was a client back then. Anyway, she gave me this deck at the end of our client engagement, and um, I'm at first I'm like, well, first of all, it's beautiful. The deck is beautiful, like the paintings and the images are gorgeous. And it's like, well, yeah, and I do, I do relate to mystical shamany stuff. So I started using it years ago, Scott. Now every every morning before I journal, I pull two cards. And the, this morning, um, the coyote showed up, and witness. And coyote has shown up a couple of times recently. And I I live where there are coyotes, and I've always loved coyotes. And coyote medicine is kind of a big deal, um, but. Today, and I know the cards well enough now after several years of using them that, that usually I kind of like, okay, right, I know what that one's about. Today I got this nudge, you know, you need to actually read these things. So I, I went and read the descriptions and Coyote was talking about divine detours. You know, when you're on the path toward everything you're dreaming of and creating and you have these detours and some like, what's going on? This morning, I just felt so tired and I could feel myself just what you just got done saying, all of these ideas of everything I needed to be doing today. Mm -hmm. And then, so I'm sitting there journaling and the guidance that was coming out was, you think you have so much to do. You just got back from this trip and you have this long to-do list, several long to-do lists with this institute you're creating and all the wonderful things that are happening. But actually what's needed today is to sit you actually need to understand the power of being today. And these are the words that were coming out during this journaling session. And I'm sitting there feeling the resistance to that. Like, yeah, but that's nice. But I have all of these things that need to be done. Right. And the, the wisdom that came back was <laughs> you think that's when you're being effective is when you're doing all of the things. Uh -huh. The witness is about getting still and observing things as they unfold and knowing that you are part of the unfolding, but you are not the most active agent in it. I love that. I love that. And also understanding that in the rest, so much is happening. Like if you're not taking the rest, you're not able to show up and be productive and be active in the way that you want. Like the rest is an action. It is part of the process. It is a necessary part of the process. I'm curious though, Jacob, what, how does coyote connect with detour though? I just, I'm trying to make the connection between the animal and the, oh. does it say like, what, why is that a divine detour? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I left that part out. So 
coyote <laughs> and in the shamanic world coyote is the is the trickster it's almost kind of like the loki in the nordic gotcha. uh, mythology okay. so has a, a crafty tricky but not but not in a not in a sinister way it's kind of like no i'm you know and here in boise there are lots of coyotes around the outskirts of town and people who have dogs will if they go out hiking and the dogs the coyotes will actually try to lure the dogs out because they're dog like and so they like hey let's go play well then they go play and sometimes the dogs get killed so that's not the that's not the exact uh, thing i'm talking about here but but coyotes do have that you know, trickster, um, energy to them. And what this particular card was talking about is like, when you think you're being led into a detour or a pause or a dead end road, great growth and understanding are coming to you. So be patient with what seems like a detour or a challenge. I love that yeah. because that just also speaks to a lot, allowing what is accepting what is being with what is acknowledging that what is in the moment is a part of everything else. Yeah. You know, and we don't have to reflect on what we're experiencing as unnecessary or less than or wasted time, that that's a trick of the mind, you know, and, and how does it, how does it serve us to view the choices we're making or our life as wasted time? And how could we ever have the, Oh, what's the word? It's going to say cockiness to even presume that we have an understanding about everything that's going on and everything that's unfolding in our lives to be able to determine that this moment here is wasted, that this moment here doesn't fit in to the grand unfolding of everything else, you know? I do know. And the places where I don't know, I think that I'm being, that, that seems to be my uh, classroom at the moment. <laughs> when you say that, like the grand unfolding of everything, it's like, no, a part of me very much has a knowing about that. And then there are parts of me that are still like, oh yeah, but that's, we don't, that doesn't feel good. That's, that's scary. And it's interesting, Scott, several people in my life right now are being led along through what feels really good and necessary and also is so scary uh so scary to the parts of the mind that are so locked in on doing doing having a plan following the plan mm -hmm. um i love that you and i have been able to share with each other about that um and i think that interesting to look at the coyote the trickster you know right now in the world where COVID came along. We're like, okay, we're at, we're all locked down. We have to learn the lessons here. And then we had the intense struggles of last year, politically and every other way it seemed like. And then the vaccine comes out and it feels like, okay, where the wheels are turning again, we'll get, we'll move this caravan back onto the track. Mm -hmm. And then the, the variant comes along and now there's a lot of questions and, you know, events are getting canceled and people are backing out of this and that. And it's like, you know, and that's just in our world, but it, I know that it affects so many different people in different ways. And it's just interesting to feel this sense of the whole world really doesn't know where we're going right now. We don't know what's up. We don't know what medicine is trying to make its way into our systems to bring us into a healthier way of being with each other and with ourselves. We don't know. Um, and I try not to 
spiritualize everything, uh, even in the middle of spiritualizing everything. Um, (laughs) 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 Even in mid-sentence of doing it, I try not to do it. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) That's a great book title. (laughs) Oh, my God. Let's just speak in riddles and paradoxes for the rest of this episode, okay? Yeah. Go ahead, though. I'm sorry I cut you off. What were you say- What were you gonna say? Oh God! How are you gonna spiritualize? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna not spiritualize while I'm spiritualizing right now. No, I, you know, I think that sometimes it's easy to <laughs> to talk talk spiritual circles in the middle around around things that are hard to understand, um, or even start to employ magical thinking around them. But living life symbolically and learning to zoom out and say, okay, we're in the middle of a maze of a, of various crises of on personal levels and on collective levels. Um, so I think sometimes it can be a bypassing thing to just try to, you know, slap some, I don't know, spiritual explanation on it, but I also do very firmly and deeply live my life in a, in a spiritual curiosity saying, here's how it appears on the surface, but there's more going on than that. And I need to be still enough to begin to at least be able to interact with, have a relationship with the parts that I don't understand. Always, right? I mean, always to what you're saying. And when you, you, you started that by bringing up yourself and friends who are doing things in their lives that are provoking a lot of fear, you know, and I find, because one of the things I do think, like, I don't, I can't pretend to understand everything that's going on or even close to everything that's going on. But one thing that I am noticing in myself and I am seeing it in a lot of people in this time is that people are, well, I'll I'll speak for myself. I feel like I am centering myself more and more in my integrity. I am really considering what feels true for me, what feels authentic for me, and doing my best to give my energy to those things. And when you brought up the friends that you brought up, that's what I was energetically feeling too, is a lot of people, mm-hmm. because we've been in a time of such uncertainty and such insanity and all of it, we are, I feel like one of the benefits of this time, I'm spiritualizing now, FYI, one of the benefits it is, is pushing us to start discarding the bullshit to really just be with what feels good, what feels true, what feels honest to connect with, with those we feel called to connect with and not with those we don't to, to honor these things inside of ourselves. And whenever in my experience, whenever you're honoring what's true for you or nearly almost always, mm. you are going to be in conflict with the expectations of society because, yes. because we are not conditioned to honor what is true for us. We are conditioned to align with what is expected of us and what is expected of us so often lives outside of what is most true for us. So the process of getting in touch with your your authentic self and really living from that place, really honoring your integrity is almost always in conflict with what the world is expecting from you, which is why it is so terrifying, which is why 
being on this path of self-discovery and is so scary because you have to come face to face with um, not meeting the expectations of others, disappointing others, being judged by others. And yet the payoff is beautifully honoring what's true for you, living in your integrity, seeing that there's nothing that feels better than those choices, and then naturally connecting with others who are doing the same, connecting with others who are willing to honor what is true for you instead of responding to this false presence you're putting out there, you know, and the gifts of that and creating possibilities that come from that truth. I feel like I say this every episode in some way at some point, but but it is what I'm seeing in myself. It is what I'm seeing people in the world. And I think that that is one of, one of the aspects of this time that feels most exciting for me is watching people wake up in a different way and, and say energetically or verbally, however they're saying it, like, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. This is what I feel called to express. I'm not going to play in this arena of falseness anymore. I'm going to create something real and true for me. God. <laughs> so as you're saying that, Scott, I just had this memory of what Walt Whitman said, and I've read this over and over again. I've shared it over and over again, but what you're talking about, he said it so poetically in his preface to Leaves of, of Grass, re-examine all you have been told in school or church or in any book, or we could insert, or society, and dismiss whatever insults your own soul. And yes. here's the, and here's the payoff. And I, we this this pretty much describes what you've been doing, Scott, on, for the last however long. You know, in really dismissing those things. Um, here's the payoff. And your very flesh shall be a great poem, and have mm. the richest fluency, not only in its words, but in the silent lines of its lips and face, and between the lashes of your eyes. And in every motion and joint of your body, re-examine oh. all you've been told in school or church or in any book and dismiss whatever insults your own soul. So what I just heard you say was like an echo from Walt Whitman. And, and understand, that's so beautiful. I'm so glad you read that. I love that. And understand that it's not easy doing it is not easy it's not easy because by doing it you have to confront all of the lies you've been telling yourself you have to confront all of the pretending that you've been doing for years you have to confront all of the expectations of people in your life and outside of your life who are trying to place you in a box and keep you small all of these things you have to confront and they're terrifying. Mm -hmm. And yet it's entirely possible to confront them because the action isn't action. It's, oh, I hope I can get out what I'm feeling right now. Because as much as you're confronting those things, the intention as you're moving into that space of truth is not about the confrontation. The intention is about aligning with truth. And that's what keeps you focused. And that's what keeps you moving forward. The intention is entrusting that by aligning with my truth and being present in what is what honors my soul, 
I am continuously energizing myself to do more and more of that and continuously inviting connections and possibilities and situations that serve that. So my energy isn't actually going to the confrontation. It's going to that, but a natural part of that process is that we have to confront the stories we've been telling ourselves that don't serve those things. Right. Does that make sense? <laughs> but we can get our energy yeah. from the alignment. We can get our energy from honoring our soul. We can get our energy from the joy and celebration and excitement that comes from honoring our soul yes. and use that energy to help us confront the difficult things that we face along the way. Yeah. <clears throat> They couldn't, everyone else couldn't see, but I had my eyes closed while you were expressing that, Scott, because I could feel the, I could feel the vitality in it, the truth in it. And I, um, yeah, I'll just, I'll just say a little more about some of these people in my life, including myself. I mean, very much, you know, reflecting to each other, this kind of, what the fuck are we doing? But also this feels exactly right. And <sighs> And I mean, and like kind of scary good, but also yeah. what the fuck are we doing? Um, yeah. So one, you know, these are very dear people. I mean, we, I spend real time with these people and, and, and they do the same for me. And, you know, one in particular took a leave of absence from a job that was just really breaking them down really, really, um, you know, and, and it's a good job with good benefits and good pay and all the stuff, but it was also like, but my body and mind are shutting down. Like I'm in trouble. Yeah. Took, took an absence and started remodeling their house, yeah. like using her own hands and remodeling her house and showed me some of it yesterday. And it was like so much admiration, like what an accomplishment, a lot of hard work went in. And she said, I don't know why this felt like the healing thing I needed to do. I didn't read a lot of books, you know, I didn't have to do all the therapy stuff. I thought I was going to do all this stuff during this leave. She's, what I needed to do was remodel my fucking house. <laughs> I spent all this money, but she also said, but I also feel like this is deeply guided. Like I need to do this. Um, mm -hmm. And spending the money and doing all, and like there's, I just have this trust that somehow what I'm doing right now is part of what I need to be doing and that it's all going to work out. And on the other side of this, there will be more, I think I'm using my own words now, but more truth and alignment in my work, in how I'm supporting myself and my family and all of that. And I just, I just always puts a huge warm glow in my heart to hear that. And I also am living through the middle of that sort of thing. I'm not remodeling my house right now, but I'm remodeling my, my, my business, my life. Mm -hmm. And, um, the same kinds of things, like what am I doing traveling around the country, spending money and having these meetings. And, but it's like, but there's some mysterious inner gyroscope compass thing that says you are on the right track. Like you are on the right track and you need to trust. Absolutely. And that, that mysterious gyroscope compass thing is only mysterious because we're not in the habit of listening to it. Exactly. It doesn't need to be mysterious. Right. It could become the, the most natural thing in the world to start listening to our inner being, to our inner knowing, to our inner compass and align our actions with the information we get from it. 
God, Scott. And it just takes courage. Wow. I probably need to read this book again. I, I, I read it and it landed like so many books during that time, especially did for me when I was in Austin. Um, the Mutant Message from Down Under. Um, that is one of my favorite books from the 90s. I can't believe of all the books, that's the one you said. Wow. No one even ever knows that book. Well, and I, I mean, as, as with many books uh, that have a, a lot of influence or impact, you know, there's criticism she made that some of the stories, I don't know. Right, this, right. this Western woman went to Australia and lived with some of the ad, Aboriginal peoples and actually was invited to, I think, burn her clothes or something, like leave everything behind and go out into the outback. On a walkabout with them. Yes. For- for months, I think. Oh my God. So what you just described, I, I had this, oh my God, he's talking. So she described this journey of being led into symbolic, intuitive living by this seemingly very primitive group of people. And she was, she came away completely stunned by their incredible wisdom and their ability to navigate and, and, you know, very earthy ways of like, they put one person in charge. I know I'm telling you things you know, but sharing this with the listeners, I mean, they would put one person in charge of the group for the day, and that person was meant to lead them to food and water for the day, navigating with intuition and and their senses. And she was said, yeah, there were some days when we would think, is there going to be any food show up today? Mm-hmm. And sure enough, exactly when it was supposed to, the food would be there, a great snake or a some creature and you know the the water would be there she watched miracles of healing these people yeah. using these very deep primitive magic you know whatever we want yeah. to call it um so anyway when you talk to what's that and, and telepathy yes between the members i mean so much yeah i haven't i don't remember all the details of that book but i remember loving it so 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 much and being like overwhelmed by it in the best way. Well, and what you just said reminded me of it. Like the only reason we're not, the reason that gyroscope compass feels so mysterious is we're so out of tune with it. We're so out of, we don't know how to use it well. Yeah. We're not trained to, we're not taught to, we're not taught, taught to trust ourselves. Right. And we see the examples of that constantly. Yeah. And so then we are we're conditioned to trust all of these outside sources that so often don't have our best interests in heart or mind, right? And in unlearning that, I think that that's such a big part of healing is not fixing. It is about remembering. It is about unlearning, mm-hmm. you know, unlearning what we've been conditioned to believe about ourselves, all of the limitations we've been conditioned to believe about ourselves, especially and unlearning all that and coming into the discovery that we are wildly powerful beings, wildly powerful beings with very little concept of just how powerful we are. Like, I believe we are wildly powerful beings. I believe I am wildly powerful. And I also acknowledge I have no idea how powerful I am, right? Like if I really let myself be powerful, like we don't know. But I, I have every idea that we are much more powerful than we are led to believe and that we, then we lead ourselves to believe. So what happens if we start believing something different? What happens if we start playing with our power? As the, the most minute example, I never would have imagined taking a hike barefoot through a forest. 
my mind would have conjured all of the, not even just about the dirt. It's about like, what am I going to step on that's going to break my through my skin? What kind of bugs are going to crawl on my body and, and, and bite my feet? You know, all of the different fears that I could have possibly conjured. Mm. And then you do it and you realize, yeah, of course you can walk barefoot through a forest, right? You just did it. You never have to think that you can't do that again because you just did it. And that's just one example of the limitations we place on ourselves, the ways we tell ourselves we can't do something and then we do it. People listening out there, I know there are listeners right now who believe about themselves that there is some creative desire they have within them to write a book, to compose a song, to sing something, and some part of you is saying you can't possibly do it. And I implore you to just start doing it because once you take the action and actually start doing the thing that your mind has you convinced you can't do, it is very difficult for your mind to still show up and say you can't do it because you are actually doing it. Just begin. Just take the steps. Baby steps count. Crawling counts. It all counts. Yeah. Right? What's a practical... Help, help, help us, Scott. If so, if someone's saying, okay, I want to, I want to take a baby step. Can you, can you show me some part of my life right now that I could actually try that out in? Like, what would, how would you, I know if I were sitting with someone, this would happen very naturally. Cause I do this all the time with people. And I'm sure you do too, right. but I'm just curious, like if you could even tell us a story maybe about someone who did that. Um, I would love to hear like, what, what would a baby step even look like in someone's real life? Well, I mean, it's circumstantial based on what that person wants to do. But as an example, I, I think I may have told this. It's so funny. There's a podcast I love. It's called Tig and Cheryl True Story. Mm. And it's Tig Nataro and Cheryl Hines. And they're good. For, Tig Nataro is a great comedian I love. And Cheryl Hines is on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. She's an actress. And they're good friends. And each week they talk about a documentary that they watched. And but it is not at all about really, I mean, they talk about the documentary, but it's just about them. Like the stories that come from them talking about the documentary are really funny. And I bring this up. Why did I bring that up? Oh, because all the time they do repeat stories. And Cheryl's like, we may have talked about this again. And Tig's always like, who cares? <laughs> She's like, nobody remembers or they don't care. Just say it again. And so I was just about to say, I think I've told this story again. And then my mind was like, who cares? <laughs> like, who cares if I've said this story before? But I used to know a woman who was a bodybuilder, but a world-renowned bodybuilder. And the type who, not the type, she literally, if you've ever seen the real muscular bodybuilders harnessed to a jet and pulling a jet mm. to show their strength. She did. She literally did that. Like there's a picture of her harnessed to a jet. So I remember talking to her about working out and wanting to get in the habit of working out, but not being able to. And she said to me, this is to answer your question, Jacob. She said, just drive to the gym. Mm -hmm. She's like, just drive to the gym and then drive home. If that's how it starts. She's like, you start by driving to the gym. And if you don't have the, the impetus to get out of the car, that's fine. Just drive home. And the next day, drive to the gym again. Make the commitment to yourself that you are going to get in your car and drive to the gym. And eventually, you're going to get out of your car. And eventually, you're going to walk into the gym. And eventually, you're going to spend one minute on a treadmill. 
And eventually that one minute will turn into five and maybe 10. And you're going to start exercising. The key there for you, she said to me, is to start forming the habit. Mm. So it's not about exercising at first. It's about driving to the gym. And that I feel can be applied to everything. Like whatever it is, who, who whoever's listening, whatever it is you want to do, break it down. You're at A now. You only need to get to B. You do not need... I use this example all the time in my teaching. We get so overwhelmed because when we're at A and our goal is Z, we take in all the letters. Our mind considers all the letters and immediately we paralyze ourselves by considering all of the different steps we have to take to meet the goal. But you don't have to take those steps. That's false. All you have to do when you're at A is get to B. And that can be just getting in your car and driving to the gym. That can be sending out a single email. That can be making one phone call. That can be going to an art supply store and buying the paintbrushes. The point is A to B tends to be incredibly palatable. Mm -hmm. And when you're at B, you still don't have to get to Z. That's the beauty of it. You only have to get to C. So take that next baby step, whatever that looks like for you. And suddenly you're at Q and then you're at S and then you're at W and whatever that end goal was for you is much closer and much more attainable and you will find your way to Z. It's never, ever from A. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) I just went and shot that new course with Paul Boynton um, on the East Coast recently and his book, Begin With Yes, is exactly what you're talking about. And it was, it's really written for people who feel very um, unresourceful or stuck, you know, and in fact, he gives away thousands of copies a year to people who have lost their job and feel, and feel like it's completely impossible or they're just really, you know, financially broke. And, um, but what you just described is exactly the process he talks about in there. And Scott, I love, I love that. And the, the smallest step forward, something begins to mysteriously happen. And again, I use the word mysterious, um, but it, it is a little hard to explain. Like, I think I've told the story. Um, I'm so glad you treated us to your inner dialogue about the, I've told the story before, but it doesn't matter. Because uh, <laughs> we all do that, Scott. Um, but feeling so incredibly stuck in my life um, and I was, you know, starting to write this book about creativity back then and just was feeling, you know, very, there were various messes. There were various messes in my life. You know, I needed to deal with my taxes. Um, I needed to, um, figure out a car situation. Um, there were just all of these things and that, those were the intangibles, but then my house was just, uh, just felt, shabby inside and I still had, you know, teenagers at home and it just felt like, it just felt like everything was kind of stuck and didn't feel good. And I felt really guided to sit down and do what I do and do a mind map um, of all of it, just write it all out and make squiggly lines between these bubbles. And it was interesting out of that um, sort of messy schematic, I began to notice, oh, well, here are some major areas um, and I, I noticed that I need to take better care of my body. And, you know, there were some major kind of areas and, and the question be, began to be what, what tiny thing will you do forward on these major things and what can you turn into a practice? Mm-hmm. 
So some of these things were more or less one-time things. I needed to, you know, open the letter from the IRS and read it. <laughs> right, sure. <laughs> Which seemed impossible the day before. But there were some other things that started to happen. And I looked around my house and it's like, at the time, I looked around and was like, well, I don't have the time or money to really tackle everything that needs to be tackled here. But then I looked out on the back porch and I'm like, there's this little eight by eight square of concrete out on my back porch. And that is a visual reminder every day of the rest of this stuff. There were some bikes that were old and done with. My kids were done with. There was some furniture. It was weird. I, I said, I don't know why this makes sense, but that's the thing that I need to start with. So I spent a couple of afternoons and a friend came over and helped me pick out a new rug and a couple of chairs from Target and some plants. And I donated the bikes to the homeless shelter and um, that felt really good. It was so interesting when that one little area of my life became artful. It, it was clean. I It was pretty, you know, I liked it. I wanted to go sit there. My, the rest of my brain was saying, why are we doing this when we have all these major serious adult kinds of things that need to be handled? I can't explain exactly why, but those baby steps that you're talking about, there was this, it was like I'd plugged my whole system into the charging cord into the wall. Something happened. I suddenly had more energy. I say suddenly, suddenly I noticed that I had more energy and the rest of what needed to be done in my life there was this momentum, Scott, that started to happen. And also along with that, there was a good feeling. I wasn't just grinding through this to-do list every day in this grim adult fashion with my, with my jaw clenched. It was like, I'm actually enjoying bringing order back into my life, back into my body, back into my spiritual practice, back into my home um, and my finance. It was just interesting how it began to unfold. And then suddenly things happened quickly that I could not have predicted when I was sitting on my couch feeling hopeless and afraid of everything around me. Yeah, I, lo I love that story. And as you were telling it, the word that just kept flashing through my mind was momentum. Yeah. Momentum. Yeah. Momentum. This is how energy works, yeah. right? We The things we think about, they build on each other. That's why it's so easy to stay in a negative state of being or a miserable state of being because we we stay focused on thoughts that aren't serving us and they create more thoughts that aren't serving us. And it's very easy to build momentum in every direction, wherever our thoughts are going, right? So it makes total sense. Yeah, You did something and the energy built on itself and built on itself. And of course it transcends just the one area you're focused on. That for me is is one of the great gifts of yeah. life. Truly, it's understanding that as I work on myself in one area, I'm working on myself in all areas. Right. As I serve myself in one area, all of me is being served. Yeah. That is the, that is one of the great gifts of this experience and of the, the path of healing and personal growth. I trust that. I've seen so many times where I was focused on one thing and and having awakenings in this one area and putting my energy and suddenly this thing I wasn't thinking about at all that used to be an issue for me was no longer an issue for me. Yeah. And I wasn't giving any attention to it. It's just yeah. something that kind of resolved itself. Um, and, and those types of things are just big gifts, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> you know, but when you, when you recognize them and you start paying attention to your life and the way your choices affect your reality, I feel like 
it's not by accident. These yeah. things aren't accidental. And you use the word mysterious a lot and it. It does feel mysterious. And I use the word miraculous a lot because it does feel miraculous. Yeah. But when it continues to happen over and over, you start to understand like this is this is how it works. Mm -hmm. Like this is how it works. Yeah. This is wow. how things unfold. It is not by accident. It's not a mystery. It is energy. Yeah. yeah. It's all energy. <laughs> I love to simplify words like miracles and mystery for myself anyway. So for me, a mystery is anything my mind presently doesn't understand. Yeah. It's a mystery. Doesn't mean it's not real or doesn't work. It's just a mysterious, it's mysterious. And, and a miracle to me is something good that happens that doesn't seem possible given the current circumstances, something yeah. really good. So when something amazing happens like that didn't seem possible. <laughs> that's mysterious. Well, my mind doesn't understand how that good thing could have happened, but here it is, you know? Yeah. I love those definitions. I love the simplicity <laughs> of those. Yeah. By the way, we have a, a really cool response from, um, from a listener. Scott just came in. Uh, do you want me to read it? Absolutely. All right. So Diana, she says, hi, Jacob and Scott. Thank you so much for getting into the subject of friendships on episode 19. I wrote about my best friend and I not speaking. This was one or two months ago. And you read my message on that episode, smiley face. I wanted to tell you, we finally spoke yesterday. We had a really nice, honest conversation. I reassured myself before that, telling my inner child that we could do it, that I would remain calm and I wouldn't allow things to get ugly. I'm so happy I clarified everything. I told him how important it was for me to for me to treat each other with respect above all, and he understood. He also acknowledged how respectful I had always been, and I felt very good with myself for speaking up. Thank you for being such lovely human beings. Lots of love, Diana. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing. I love it. It's a follow-up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Diana, for sharing that. And I'm so happy it went that direction because I remember your initial message, and I remember your the sense I got from it that there was a part of you that was kind of ready to end things mm -hmm. and over it and it it sounds like with time and with a bit more uh openness something else presented itself and that's really beautiful I love yeah. that I'm happy for you both me too Scott and I Dana I love that from the sense of your follow-up there you gained the inner assurance that you were going to be okay um, in taking that step. And if your, fr if your friend had not responded in the way that he ended up responding, that you would have been okay. And so having that intelligence to take the time to reassure your inner self that way, and then take the step and then look how it turned out. I just love that. And, and had it gone the other direction, I suspect we probably would have gotten a note from you saying that you still felt proud of yourself for, for, you know, being clear and honest. Beautiful. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> I love, I love hearing things like this, you know, <laughs> me too. Yeah. Well, yeah, these risks, Scott, um, I think today has been an interesting exploration of all of that, including the risk of being ourselves, of finding out who we are and then taking those baby steps in the direction that that, that that real self says, let's go here. Um, and learning how to trust that, learning how to trust that, that that is taking us in the direction of our heart, in the direction of, of what we would really truly love. Um, 
Yeah. And by the way, I, I want to say this, and then I'd love to hear where you're going next, Scott, if you even know. Um, but I just want to say, I it has turned into something so special to get these notes from you who listen. Um, and I'm just going to reiterate, please feel free to visit heyjacobhighscott.com. Use the uh, message box there and send us a note. Um, if you don't want us to share it on the air, make sure you say so, of course, and we'll respect that. But if it's something you'd like us to share with other people, um, we would we would love this. And it's meant so much. Every time I open the submissions box and there's a new note or or, or many notes in there, Scott, it just I'm I just am so happy. I know, me too. And we certainly read everyone we get, even if it's not something that we end up sharing on yeah. the air. Um, yeah, thank you for saying that. I have uh, I have something I'd like to read today oh, if good. we're at the point where we're ready. Oh, and where am I going next? Um, yeah, not totally sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. You're supposed to say something shaman like, the wind will carry me. The... <laughs> I don't know how to finish Whatever that. Wherever the wind takes me. <laughs> so this is a little, it's a little long, good. but... It, I read it yesterday and it was, I, I just love it. I love the spirit of it. And I'm going to read it with, it's got a lot of exclamation points. So it start. it's by a woman named Emma Zeck, Z-E-C-K. And this is from Instagram. It says, hey guys, I wanted to let you know that I checked the news today and Fox and CNN and NPR and the New York Times had all one very important announcement to make. Everything is absolutely fucked. So... If we're going to be fucked, there's no time for blinking or thinking or shrink, shrinking. We must fuck good and deep and long. Call it a day. Call it a life. There's only time for buying every jar of Parmesan and making cheese candles. I don't know. Sell them. Sneak into every abandoned castle in the city. Marry an owl. Make out every day. Clap your feet at the concert. Wear Heelys. Move to Tibet, become a sheep herder, prank call your ex, spend all your money, dress in a jellyfish costume for no reason, decorate your home with parrot feathers, dazzle your neck with salami links, speak with a British accent, convince everyone, only eat spam for the rest of your life, lose all your teeth, go to jail in a foreign country, become a member of parliament, Tuesdays are for powdered wigs. Tell someone off. There are four million reasons we are all totally fucked. So walk around with a unicorn head. Request the pizza be delivered by donkey. Take scuba gear for the bathtub. Rent a clown for the day. Decide you hate your job. Quit. Start a business. Fail horribly. Embarrass yourself. Go back to the high school. Disguise yourself as the janitor. Put shrimp in the, in the vents. Take up, some, take up competitive dog grooming. Get your heart broken. Cry about it. Then ride off on a horse. You're now on the back of a motorcycle in Zimbabwe. Tell the woman she has spinach in her teeth. Wax your nipples in public. Kiss every person on the street. Tell every stranger you love them. Sell your entire wardrobe. Only wear bedazzled hobble skirts. Pierce your butt cheeks. Disappear. Change your name to Regina. Reappear. Wear a top hat. It's 90 degrees. Wear fur to the beach. Have your own parade. Make a Victorian float. Invite no one. Wear a lampshade over your head, run into everyone, twerk down the boardwalk, show up to the party naked, ride a bull, adopt 30 cross-eyed cats, join the circus, backflips every night, hopscotch every morning, throw away your phone, only communicate via pigeon, flower petals for eyelashes, live till you're 120, retire at 25, jetpack or unicycle instead of a car, who cares, the news says we're fucked, bye! <laughs>
<laughs> Isn't that great? I love it so much. I had to mute myself because I was cackling. <laughs> it's so freaking funny. I love, there's one line, I mean, so many of these lines made me laugh. But the one that I think made me laugh the hardest was dazzle your neck with salami links. <laughs> dazzle your neck with salami links. I loved uh, wax, wax your nipples and <laughs> <laughs> Tuesdays are for powdered wigs. All of... and uh, everyone had an exclamation point at the end. All right, please uh, text that to me after we're done here. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I will. I have several all people right. I need to share that with. Um, yeah. Man, okay, well, I love you. I love today's episode. Everyone who's listening, I love you also. Um, I can't, there's no way to one-up that person who just <laughs> wrote that shit, so I'm not going to try. So do all that all or right. some of it or something. Yeah, I love you listeners. I love you, brother. And uh, until next time. It's up to you to choose how good it can get, how much love you can let. Into your life, into your heart Before your mind decides it's too much It's up to you to choose It's up to you to choose